Am I coming through? How about that? Yes? Wunderbar. Well, I wore this so that y'all could see that there's a, you know, there's a medal involved, and you get to get one of these. It's a, it's a everybody participated trophy. <laughs> we're against those things, but it's fun. So we're going to put that right there um, for now. But it was it was a great great time being with brothers and sisters in Christ who, who uh, support life. And uh, that's a really good thing. So happy Mother's Day, you mamas. <laughs> um, it is Mother's Day, and it feels weird because everybody must be doing their Mother's Day thing and uh, decided to do it on, on today. So we've got a question. What is a mother? What is a woman? We're going to dare to answer that question today. Um, today, when we think about it... Um, I'm sure we've all seen these videos and we've seen these, these little clips on internet and media sites and all these things where um, right now we're in a weird place. We're in a weird place where the world and the spirit of the age, they, they, they can't seem to answer a simple question. And I remember, um, as you can tell, I've got a few years on me, and uh, I remember when um, they were trying to pass this thing called ERA. It was called the Equal Rights Amendment. It's been squashed so many times you can't even, it's hardly noticeable anymore. They even try to revive it today. And I mention that in passing because there's always been this feminist movement since I've been a kid. And in the 80s it got more um, intense. It got more intense and it got more developed. And you started seeing ads for all these you know, women empowerment things. And they were supposed to bring women to a place where they were equal to men. Here's what they never considered. Women aren't supposed to be men. Nor men are supposed to be women. Amen. And, um, and that's not a popular thought today. Um, you could be... There's... there's um, I've seen some videos of pastors who have gone to places and just for quoting biblical things, they are arrested. And we're not talking about foreign countries. We're talking about here in our United States. And it's becoming more prevalent um, because we're going against the tide. We're going against a, a, uh, a spirit. We're going against a, it's a spiritual battle that we're in. And, and right now, the idea of motherhood um, even that's being challenged. Um, you know, there there are those who want to change the language and the meaning of things, and so they want to call um, instead of mothers, they want to call them um, birthing people, birthing people, and the like. And I don't know about y'all, but that uh, what you know the reason I, I started with the whole feminist thing is. Feminism is awesome. It's amazing. It's supposed to be what it is. Um, it's supposed to be those things that set um, females apart from men. Those are the things that men are attracted to. And for those of you who follow online, um, that is what males are attracted to. The feminine things. Things that make women women. And, you know, 
you don't, you know, I, I want women to, to under, young women especially, to understand that men don't want to hang out with a girl who's just another dude who's a bro. And by the way, stop using that to call women bros. They're not bros. You see, you buy into that and you just automatically do that because everybody else does it and you don't think about it. Um, they're not your bros. There is bros that we have, but I, I see it all the time and it just frustrates me um, because women are supposed to be different. They're, we're created female. And we're going to cover a couple of these things. Um, we do celebrate and honor mothers here, and moms and mommies and women in particular. And we don't have a problem defining women, what they are. Um, in fact, we're going to look at the, uh, the, the uh, an 1828 Noah Webster dictionary, and he defines what a woman is. And it's not that this patriarchal dude, this patriarch, you know, part of the patriarchy, decided what it was. It's just that's what women have always been. And he was a very Christian man. And he uses the definition that, that, that comes out of what we find as in Scripture. And, uh, you know, praise God that I looked in probably half a dozen or more different dictionaries, and there was only one that is redefining that to include something. Most of them keep the same um, definition, which has been around since the beginning of time. And uh, to my surprise, to my pleasant surprise, I was pleasantly surprised when I looked at all the different dictionaries on, that are available online, um, how many of them just kept the same, the same one. And so, and I say that in, in, in passing so that, you know, if you get into the discussion, you can pull up, you know, one dictionary after another that has the same one. And what is that? Well, a woman is a, an adult female. That's considered a woman. A little girl is not considered a woman. She's considered a woman in making or a woman in, in, in utero, if you will. She's growing to a woman. <laughs> but it is one of those things that, that you know, it's, it's pretty easy to define. And things are becoming so obscure. Um, they're being so uh, attacked. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's a denigration of, of womanhood. It's taken away. I, I did find, to my chagrin, there was many, many articles that I saw that um, one feminist, I'm just going to call it what it is, one feminist after another who are childless, says, well, womanhood doesn't equal motherhood. And um, so they're... they're arguing from their point that they've gone to school, they've been universitized, and they're smart, and they're intelligent, and they're, you know, they can buy their own flowers, they can do their own thing, they have their own, you know, anonymity and all this other stuff. And, and so that doesn't mean that, you know, um, that it necessarily has to be part of what a woman, what defines a woman. But without, without, um, any pause, being a mother is something that only women, actual women, can do. And little girls are born with that ability. They have that within them, and it'll develop over time. When they get old enough, then they can, they can 
have those different, they have the internal organs and they have the um, mechanisms within them, created in them, designed in them to do some amazing things. And I'll mention this in passing. I wasn't going to mention this, but it just comes to mind. We did a study um, probably two or three years ago, maybe longer, and we watched, and it was Randy Galuza. Brilliant, brilliant scientist. He's got so many different degrees and so many different things, mostly in biology, biological stuff. He loves physiology. And he, he spent about two or three videos that we watched about how the, the pregnancy, how the body is designed with all these miraculous things. Um, without all of these mechanisms that are built into to the, uh, to the uterine walls and, and all these things of, of the female species of our, of our humanity, uh, it would be a dangerous, dangerous thing. One thing after another could cause death to the woman or to the baby. But there's things that are just, they just happen. And no matter how you look at it or how you want to explain it, it looks like it's all designed. Because it doesn't become active until that process begins. Then all of a sudden, the body starts to do things and nobody tells it to. It just automatically does it. It's almost as if women were designed to be able to procreate, to carry a baby. Yeah. And, and it's, it's and, you know, and, and unfortunately, with, with uh, um, so-called science that denies the design that we see and says, well, it may look like it's designed and it may act like it's designed and you may come to the conclusion that it's designed, but it's not designed. You can't believe that. That's what they're told. And that's what I call universitized. That's my, uh, that's my word that I've uh, coined. And I see that all over the place. I see that when I talk to young people. I see it when I talk to older people who have gone through universities and their minds have been warped into thinking anything other than what is plain and simple. So we see that, and we see that it's, a, it's an attack on womanhood and it's an attack on motherhood. And um, there's a trend right now that uh, um, I'm not a participant of uh, TikTok, nor will I ever be, but... Um, there is one that uh, is on there that gets poked at, and it's called Trad Wives. Trad Wives. And a lot of people, um, feminists, hate it. And a lot of the um, alphabet mafia don't like it either. Because it's women who are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm happy being a woman, I want to be a woman. I want my husband to be the head of the household. I want to stay at home and raise my kids. I want to cook fabulous meals, and I want to, you know, it's, it's kind of a, um, a lot of you may or may not remember um, June Kleber. Those who laugh, remember. Those who don't are going, what are you talking about? Leave it to Beaver, and those, those uh, you know, Father Knows Best, and those kind of shows where mom was she was, you know, she was, had a dress on and she looked like she was always ready to go out in the house because she carried herself in a certain way and she wanted to show her husband and her children that 
you know, she was a, a person of dignity and could do all the stuff that women do and still look great. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's kind of one of the things that, that is, um, is kind of a stark contrast to what we used to think and believe. And it's sad, really. Because that is an ob- that's a that is a uh, there's also another trend of young men who right now have given up on Western women, and the reason is is because the Western women want to be independent. They don't want the traditional things. They they can't cook, they can't keep a house, they don't know how to raise children, and most of them or a lot of them don't want children. And sorry, ladies, but that's what men want. And so they're going overseas and bringing these women over. It's, it's a trend that is happening on a large scale. And, and it's a real simple thing um, because part of what, what is a, uh, in the movie, the, the documentary, What is a Woman? One of the questions that was asked of an African tribe that was, um, you know, they don't have all the stuff that we have. They don't have all the modern modernity, you know, luxuries that we have. And they just said, look, a woman can deliver a child. That's what a woman is. One who can carry and deliver a child. That's it. A man can't do that. And when asked about the question, well, do you think that a man can can be a woman or vice versa? They just laugh. They got it right. And they honor who their women are and, and what their women are. So I want to begin... With Genesis, because we've got to go back to the beginning. You always got to go back to the beginning. Uh, because God got it right the first time. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we reject the idea of evolution in this place. Not that we're against science. We love science. Um, but the idea of evolution, and uh, I'm speaking particular to those Christians who hold to that idea. It's like, well... You have to logically arrive at the idea that God got it wrong, couldn't get it right the first time, so he had to attempt it and have the process happen over and over and over again, if you believe in evolution. Right? Because it's a mutation that happens, and what we know about mutations is very simple. Mutations don't add information, they take away information. They make things less than they were. Instead of being more complex, they're less complex. It always takes away. So the, the whole process is all messed up. And, and um, so, um, you know, we didn't have uh, women that were um, developed over a period of time. Nor men that were developed over a period of time. According to Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, this is the sixth day. God had already made all of creation including all the animals and all those things. And then it says, and is recorded for us in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says this. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Now, these are the things that uh, we've talked about many times um, when we were going through our study in Genesis. This particular verse is so important because you have so many different things going on. Even though if you just have a cursory reading of it, you wouldn't catch it all. But there's a lot here. And then he says in verse 28, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in verse, I'll read all the way through 31, but we're going to focus on 26 through 28. And then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which, is, which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your goodness and grace. Again, Lord, we do thank you for our mothers. We thank you for what you've um, designed and created in women to be able to uh, be bearers of children, to bear children, to birth children, to deliver them. It's just a miracle, all the things that are in, uh, just involved in that process in a micro level that we don't even really think about. It's amazing. Life, the life, the process of life that you've given and you've uh, made women to be able to carry those things. And we thank you. We thank you for our mothers, even our mothers who weren't so perfect or the ideal woman. They still gave us life. And we thank you for that. Father, I do thank you for my mom, who's gone. Um, she probably doesn't even remember that I exist because she's in your presence. She's experiencing your promises. And for those uh, women here who have lost their mothers, grandmothers, and so on, who loved you and who were born again by you, are, uh, they're in your presence. And that's all that they know right now. And I, I believe that. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for everything. And I thank you for your word. I pray that you would just um, um, open it up to our eyes, our ears, our minds, and hearts. For you are worthy to be praised. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So man, God made man and woman, and he made them to be specifically different. Notice the difference that he makes here and the distinction. And he says here in uh, 26, he says, let us make man. So man is mankind. He's not just going to make a man. He's going to make mankind, humankind, right? And he says, let us make him in our image according to our likeness. So there are certain attributes that God has given. And one of the distinctions that I want you to take note of is this is not part of the animal kingdom. Science tells you that we're basically just animals. We've come out of the animal kingdom, right? That's what, what I call so-called science. That's what they teach you. That's what they teach children. We're just another part of the animal kingdom. 
But no, the Bible tells us different. Because we are the only part of creation that has what is called the Imago Dei, the image of God. And it's impressed upon each and every human being that's ever been made or that ever will be made. So there's a distinction between us and the animals. How do we know? He says right here, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. That's where we get the idea of the Imago Dei. It's the truth that is written in Scripture. And in the image of God, He created Him, male and female, He created them. So it's not just man alone that has the image of God. Women bear the image of God upon them as well. And when we go to chapter 2, we're going to see how that took place and how women came about. But then notice what He says here in, uh, in 28. And this has to do with motherhood. It really does. Because what is he saying here? Well, first of all, he said, and God blessed them. So that's the first thing that God does. He makes male and female, and then he blesses them. Whatever's involved in that, in God doing that, he blesses them. Notice, and he says, and God said to them, so he blessed them, and now he's speaking to them, and he says, and he commands them. This is a command. We don't think about it that often, but that's what this is. He commands them, be fruitful. That means multiply. Because he says, be fruitful and multiply. So he's blessed them, male and female, to be able to procreate. To make babies. That's the main purpose of the two sexes. Is to have children. To have children unto God, really. And ladies, our children or your children are God's children. Technically, they're not yours. They are, but they're not. They belong to Him. They're for His glory. And that's what primarily, when it says that He blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, that's primarily what it was. It blesses Him and it... It uh, glorifies Him because they fill the earth. We fill the earth, just exactly as He has said. And then He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So that does away with this idea that there's an overpopulation problem. Because God says, fill the earth. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 you can't. You can only make so many. He just says, fill it. I'm going to take care of it. Um, we've been lied to in so many different things that we just simply start believing these things. And I remember this, and, and I've talked about this before, and I think we talked a little bit about this in the study, um, way back in the 70s when I was a kid. I remember that the earth was going to freeze in 12 years, 10 years. It's going to freeze. We're all going to be Eskimos, you know, unless things drastically change. That's what they told us. It's all going to freeze. And it's only going to be in 10 years. There's going to be ice caps in the deserts. And all this, the Sahara Desert is going to be gone. It's going to be full of ice. And that's exactly what happened. Nothing. Silence. It didn't happen. 
And those who were crying about that, who were whining about it, who were, who were all hysterical and wanted everybody to be feeding on this, this fear porn, because that's what it is. It's to keep you engaged in what they want to do. And they said, well, you see, if we hadn't have acted, everything would have froze. Yeah. And then there was acid rain. Acid rain's going to destroy everything. You can't grow crops. It's going to poison everything, and everybody's going to die and fall off the face of the earth. There was one thing after. Then there was climate change, or there, no, there was a, a global heating. Everything's going to heat. It's like, well, wouldn't that raise more crops and stuff? It would actually not be that bad, bad of a deal. And then, there, of course, now, it's, now they just call it climate change to where we can say, well, of course climate change is, constantly does. And I'm not just talking about the seasons. I mean, it constantly does. From summer to summer, from fall to fall, from spring to spring, from winter to winter, it's always a little bit different. I mean, just look at this last... There's still a lot of snow up there, folks. And for the last few years, by this time, there was hardly any anywhere. And people are freaking out about the drought, the so-called drought that I've never seen, but apparently there's one all the time. Fear porn. Got to keep you there. But it all changes. And the, the reason I'm mentioning all this is because God said, fill the earth. I got this. This is what I made the earth for. In fact, we're in a place where we're getting to in Isaiah where he expressly says, I made the earth to be inhabited. I made it to be inhabited. And not just by animals, um, but by humans. That's primarily what I made it for. Because he says, I want you to have dominion over all the animals and over all the animal kingdom. He separated us. We're different. And women in particular, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And we're going to take control over it and take care of it. We're also called to be... Um, conservationists, if you will, were to take care of the earth. Right now, with people that are virtual signaling with all their electric stuff, they don't tell you on the back end all the damage that they're doing to the earth. I got a picture of um, the other day that I'll probably post at some point in time, but it's a leach field. And it's all the chemical stuff that comes out of and that they need in order to make these batteries for these cars. And if the birds even fly over them close enough, they can be poisoned. If they come in contact with this stuff, they'll die within just a few hours. It's so poisonous. And there's no way to get rid of it. There's no good way of disposing it. But Hey, you're saving the environment. And you're causing a big draw upon all the different uh, um, you know, power plants and all these things. And, and they're, 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 it, it's just crazy the way things are, are turning and twisting. And the reason I mention all these things is because they're doing the same with womanhood. They're doing away with wom womanhood. I don't understand why women aren't up in arms about this. Women are women. Women are meant to be women. You're meant to be different. 
And there's nothing wrong with, I remember as a child, I remember growing up with, with girls when I was a little kid. We're talking first, second grade, third grade. I remember little girls who, who were um, just impressed with the idea. And by mean impressed, I mean this was just instinctual in them. I remember them saying they wanted to be moms. That's, that was their entire desire. I just want to be a mommy. And like, where does that come from? But part of it was they probably had pretty good moms. But secondarily, it was because that's instinctual. It's what God has given women to be, to be able to bear children. Men are a little bit different. We'll talk about that next month. But this is primarily what he says, to be fruitful, be multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and on every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, And God saw all that he made and he said that it was good. The word here that's used in the Hebrew for male is the word zakhar. Zakhar. And it simply means a male of, of humans or an animal. So there's a distinction, right? Just like in, in the animal kingdom, you have male species and you have female species of whatever it is that you're thinking of, whether it's the elephant or the, you know, the giraffe or lion, hippo, whatever. There's a male and a female. The female, a lot of times when the, when the Hebrew and, and the Greek will sometimes use a, a word and they'll um, kind of use that as a base word for adding to the female. But in, in this case, the word is totally different. And it has nothing to do with zakhar. Female, the word that is used there is nechayba. I'm not clearing my throat. That's just the language. Nechayba. <laughs> um, and it simply means fe- female, a woman, a female, a female child. Um, or in the animal kingdom, a female. So God makes a distinction right from the beginning. There is a difference between a male and a female. There are only two genders. It's not popular. A kid got, I watched a video of a kid, brave kid, 12-year-old kid, crazy enough, he's my kind of kid, crazy enough to wear a t-shirt that says there are only two genders. Like, yeah. And... He was taken aside by two adults who are people of authority. And they sat him down and they talked to him. And the first thing they started to say, well, we want you to know you're not in trouble. And he's like, it feels like I'm in trouble. He got a day off of school. Yeah. And they, they, they called in his, his parent, Mistake. Because his dad said, what's the problem? And he stood up for his son. And this son, this boy, 12-year-old kid, he went to a school board and he let them know, in no uncertain terms, not only am I not going to stop wearing this shirt, other people have asked me where I got it because they want to wear it too. Those are my schoolmates. That's what we think. And it shouldn't be wrong for me to express that. My mom is my mom and my dad is my dad. My dad is never going to be my mom and my mom is never going to be my dad. I don't care what they think, they're just not going to be. 
He understands this concept. It's concrete in his mind. He doesn't make any qualms about it. In Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, just to go more to show the differences between the man and the woman, um, in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, we have that story that continues, that goes into more detail. It says, And the Lord God said, Genesis 2, 18 through 25, It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, he had brought Adam, and he would brought all the animals, and Adam's naming all these animals, and with all the animals that are, that are being named, um, you have this, this idea, God brings them together, and He says, hey, it's not good for, for man to be alone. By the way, it, this is not God being surprised. This is not God going, oh, I never thought about the fact that He's alone. What do I do now? Because I heard, I heard a guy, uh, a preacher, that was talking about this in passing, and I, want, I wish I could have just reached out and, you know, shook him. He said, no, no. This didn't catch God by surprise. This isn't God saying, oh, I didn't think about that. It's like, no, there, are no, there is no surprising God. He says it's not good for man to be alone. And, and by the way, just, just to let you know, in the Hebrew, the word that it is not good for man to be alone, there's, there's, it's not an immorality, but it's just there's something just not good about it. That there's... there's not only does man need a companion and, and those types of things, but there's something just not good about it. It's, it's kind of implied that there's a, uh, um, just something that is maybe spiritually, um, just something not right about it. And so, so when it's just not just the fact that he's alone, so it's not just that. There's something more to it. And here's part of the deal. When we think about God, and I want you to think about this, when you think about God, we know or we believe in Scripture, even though the word is not used, the word Trinity, God is in, he is in community. He's the Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. Three separate eternal persons who exist for all eternity in that form. That's what God is. They're simultaneously Three eternal existing persons. Not people as such, but persons. Yet there's one God. This is the Godhead that makes up who and what God is. So, when he says that man is not, it's not good for man to be alone, that's probably part of the deal. Because God has always been in community. And it reflects part of who God is. He says in verse 18, Then God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And this helper is not somebody who is going to be um, just this subservient slave. It's not the idea. Although over time there have been men who have taken that position, and it is wrong. It's unbiblical, and knock it off. Right? It's... Someone who's suitable, who comes alongside of you, who is your helper, who helps you with, with everything in life, and who comes along and shares their life with you. He says, I will make him a helper suitable for him, because nothing in the animal kingdom was suitable. But there wasn't a woman yet. So that is being presented. Because there was only Adam 
Adam can't reproduce. So this is, like, like I said, it's kind of an opening flower. You had the, the overall view in Genesis 1, and Genesis 2 here takes us a little deeper. He says, I will make him a helper suitable. And then it says in verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. By the way, there's where you have that, uh, have dominion. He's had Adam naming all the animals. And so he said, whatever he calls them, that's what they're going to be called. That's what they are. Um, so that shows that he had uh, stewardship over all of creation. And then he says in verse 20, And the man gave names to all the cattle, which shows intelligence, Variety and imagination. So this isn't some illiterate dummy that doesn't know anything, that just grunts. It's not. That's the idea that sometimes we're presented with, with people that are way, way, from way back then in history, right? They're basically just, you know, running around with clubs, you know, partially dressed with, you know, these weird animal skins and so on and so forth and, they're just, ugh, ugh. Like, no, 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 no. Intelligence. Imagination. Variety. And, remember, whatever he called them. Language. He wasn't just, you know, uttering some kind of guttural whatever. <laughs> this was language. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Um, so whatever he called them, that's what they were. And then it says, and the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. That's pretty intelligent. That's a, that's a lot of thinking. And I wish we had a brain like Adam. You know how awesome that would be? It was unfettered. It wasn't all messed up like ours are. It would have been pristine. To have a brain like that would have been so amazing. Many of us wouldn't have the weird quirks that we do. Me especially. <laughs> right? And so he's, he's saying that, that uh, he gives the name to the birds, to the beasts, to the cattle. And then he says, but for Adam there was uh, not found a helper suitable for him. Again, he says that. Then he says in verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. This sounds like an operation. It sounds like, psh, take it out, close it back up. He's under anesthesiology, whatever, or anesthesia, whatever it is. You know, God's got him sleeping. Yeah. And those are some sure hands right there. And so whatever was taking place, whatever actually, you know, this is describing, and it sounds fairly literal, like he literally was cut open and took, or we can think of it today as, took the genetic material, right? Because we know that now. And then he formed, he says, he uh, cut, he closed up the flesh. Sounds like he put it back together again. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib. So he took this material and he forms this woman. Now he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. That's what he says. Now he's taken this and made from the person who's Adam. 
So it's not just something foreign. It's something that is akin to who he is. And he says, he, made the, he fashioned uh, a woman from the rib. This is not the muck rib. This is his material that he took out of his side. And he says he closed up the flesh. And the reason I said that is because of the McRib. Who knows what the McRib is? Yeah. It's questionable. You know, I've had ribs for almost all my life. I ain't never seen ribs like that. That's all I'm saying, okay? This was real stuff. And he closed up the flesh at the place. He, he formed and fashioned the woman into the rib, or from the rib, which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now that is a beautiful picture there, by the way. You have the father taking the bride to meet her groom. It's where that tradition comes from. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing there. He brings the woman to the man. And the man who's now coming out of his uh, stupor and the man says, yeah, yeah. And the man said, this now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, this is one of those places where you have the man in Hebrew is the word ish. And in the word here uh, for, for, the, for the woman, isha. That's where you take part of that word and then... You ascribe it to the woman, Ishan Isha. And he says, for this cause, now th- this, is, this is important because I believe this is God speaking here. The man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because, and remember, he was the one that was naming all the stuff, right? So now he's called her what she is. She's woman because she's come out of man. So she's part of who man is, part of humanity. And she's going to be the mother of all things. We'll get to that uh, quickly. Um, For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. See, there's the idea of father and mother. There was no father and mother on the face of the earth. And that's why I think this is actually God who who, uh, wrote this. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. That essentially means you're going to be glued together forever. Forever. Right? It's, it's a one-time deal. That's what it was supposed to be. Marriage was supposed to be this. This union is sacred. It is God's creation. It's God's idea. And he designed a man to be with one woman. And this is one of the lies that is in the world. And it's very easy for males to fall into this trap. And the lie that I see on every single podcast that has anything to do with any guys is the idea that men cannot be monogamous. And why is that? Well, if you look at the animal world, stop right there. If you ever have this discussion with people, ask them, well, why do you think that if you have to look at the animals, why, why, why do you insist on that? And the answer is real simple. That's what I learned in school. That's what I was brainwashed with. They're not going to tell you that, but well, that's just the way that it is. That's that's the way the animals. It's like, no, no, no. We're not animals. We were never meant to be animals. 
We're never meant to be considered that. We, we are image bearers of the living God. Every single person. We have intrinsic value that's inexplicable. It's unexplainable. And it's inexpressible because of the intrinsic value that we have because it, we are image bearers of the living God. But it's been so distorted. Men can be, they were designed originally to be monogamous. It's a lie that we have to dispel, this idea. And I don't hear anybody talking about it. Then nobody ever says, wait a minute, that's not true. That's just a lie. That's just giving you permission to do what the Bible says not to do. To fornicate. That's just a lie. It's just another way to weaken your will to be able to do those things. Um, So it's one of those lies, again, we have to get away from. And he says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and to cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. They shared in everything. There was no shame between them. This was the, the union that God had made. And, but, but notice that there was the, that, uh, um, that idea of father and mother. That was still to come. But even so, the idea was already there. They understood that. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we read this, and, and it's only a couple of verses here. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. After the fall, after all that stuff that happened, and I'll, I'll commend that to you. It's in your bulletins that you should read that, these three accounts. But if you read the fall, uh, the idea of birthing was already there because God said be fruitful and multiply, right? But part of the curse was... Now, on top of that, giving birth, now it's going to be a painful experience. It's going to be even more painful than it probably was to begin with. Um, If we go to um, verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband. So, Women, you can thank Eve for that. You can give her some big thanks. Um, (laughs) um, That's why your pain is greatly multiplied. So it's probably painful to begin with, but now it's greatly. And in giving childbirth, it will be painful. There's pain involved with it. And then he says here in 20 and verses 21, if you skip down with me, he says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all the living. That's where the idea of mother comes from. She's the mother. She's the one who will bear the offspring. She will bear the children of Adam. And they did have children. And we don't, we're not told exactly how many children they had. But when you think that they lived, that Adam lived 960 years. And... So there was something different about the earth. There was something different about humans and how we lived. And I mean, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 58 years old. I can't imagine living 100 years old, let alone 900. That's wacky. And I understand when people read that kind of stuff, they go, that's so stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, from our perspective, it doesn't. Because we're in such a fallen world. 
But this is, yeah, this is, this is the way that it was, and uh, apparently it was intended to live a long time. And, but the idea of motherhood is not something that is new, and it's not something that we should shy away from. It's something that is, uh, that is amazing. What happens, you know, in, in motherhood is, is an amazing thing. Um, and I want to read this uh, from, from a couple of different uh, um, articles uh, real quick. Um, this is from, um, let's see, I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, I think it was from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said this about this particular verse. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him. And by the way, that's part of the curse. That's what women want to do. They want to rule over their husbands. That's where you get that tension. It's true. That's something that the women have to overcome. And you can only do that in Christ. He says that that, that not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side, to be equal with him, under his arm, to be protected, and near his heart, to be beloved of. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty astute. That's wisdom there. Matthew Henry said that. Um... I also want to read here from uh, what is the definition of, of, of a woman? Well, I've said that. It's an adult female human, human being. That's what a woman is. So when you're approached on the street and somebody's got a camera and a microphone, you can say that. It's an adult female human. Now what? Yeah, it's, someone, it's a woman, it's a person who can bear children within her womb. That's what a woman is. A mother is a female parent, especially one of the human race, a woman who has born a child uh, correlative to son or daughter. That's Noah Webster's dictionary uh, definition of what a mother is. And it's just right on. Um, I want to read these words that uh, Charles Spurgeon spoke of his mother. My man Spurge. said this, it's quoted, he's, he, he wrote this down, he said, Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother, wrote Charles Spurgeon. In honor of Mother's Day, here are a few other snippets from Spurgeon on the lasting impression that his mother had on his well-being and spiritual growth. I was privileged with godly parents, he says. Watched the jealous eyes scarcely ever permitted or watched with jealous eyes, scarcely ever permitted to mingle with questionable associates, warned not to listen to anything profane or licentious, and taught the way of God from my youth up. And he writes this, Then came a mother's prayer. And some of the words of that prayer we shall never forget, even when our hair is gray. I remember on one occasion her praying thus, Now, Lord, if my children go in their sins, 
It will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must be, bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. How many of you mothers pray for your children like that within their hearing? Lord, if they die apart from you, their judgment is just. That's what her mother, his mother was praying. She loved him. She was praying the hell out of him. That's what she was doing. She was praying in such a way that he could hear. And he said, if, if, if my children go in their sins, that means go in life and then go to eternity. It will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them in the day of judgment. If they lay not hold of Christ. My spirit will bear witness against them, my own children. Why? Because they haven't laid hold of Christ. That thought of a mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience. You think so? <laughs> and stirred my heart. He never forgot that. All the days of his life, he remembered that. Now that's a woman. That's a mother. That's a strong woman there. That's what the definition of a strong woman is. Who's not afraid to say, you know, and, and my, my mother, I, I loved her to death. She was, she was uh, an amazing woman. And, you know, she would just tell all her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren, you need Jesus. You need to serve the Lord. And she would just tell them straight up. When they come, when we would come home drunk, when they would come home drunk, you need Jesus. You better turn. She wasn't afraid to say that. She loved us enough to warn us. And within her, that's what it was. A desire to see her children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren come to know Christ. That's what she was doing. And I know that some of the family did not like to talk to mom because of that. She would always remind them, you need Jesus. <laughs> so she would do it like that. But it's similar to what uh, Spurgeon's mother said. Then he says, fathers and mothers are the most natural agents for God to use in the salvation of their children. I'm, I'm sure that in my early youth, no teaching ever made such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my mother. Neither can I conceive that to any child that there can be one who will have such influence over the heart as the mother who has so tenderly cared for her offspring. And that's kind of what we expect from mothers, that tender care. Um, he says, a man with a soul so dead as not to be moved by the sacred name of mother is creation's blot. Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. Certainly I have not the powers of speech with which to set forth my valuation of the choice blessing which the Lord bestowed upon me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me. And my mom did that too. I remember my mom praying with me when I was down, when I was going through a hard time. 
How can I forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape from the wrath to come? I thought her lips right eloquent. Others might not think so, but they certainly were eloquent to me. How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee with her arms around my neck, prayed, oh, that my son might live before thee. Nor can her frown be effaced from my memory, that solemn loving frown when she rebuked my budding iniquities, and her smiles have, ever, have never faded from my recollection, the beaming of her countenance when she rejoiced to see me, to see some good thing in me towards the Lord God of Israel. Yet I cannot tell how much I owe to the solemn words of my good mother. In Proverbs 31, you knew we had to get there. Hey, this woman's impossible. And it's from the point of view of a woman. It's the mother of King Lemuel. So it's not King Lemuel who's saying this. It's his mother. And I want women to know that. We're going to start in, in verse 26. We'll read 26 through 31. It says, She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children raise, arise up and bless her, and her husband also. He praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. That's really talking about her children. When you raise your children in the Lord regardless, and they heed the words that she's given, they will praise her. There is no shame in women being women or attaining or aspiring to be great mothers. There's no shame in that. That's a wonderful thing. Or in this case, grandmothers or great-grandmothers. There's always ways of affecting the lives of those who are your progeny, who are part of your offspring. In yesteryear, there was this desire, and I remember this I was, when I was writing this. I do remember the, the, the kids and, and the little, little girls in particular. You know, boys, we wanted to play with trucks. We wanted to do guy things. We wanted to drive these big, massive machines and, and do all this stuff and shoot guns and all that stuff. And women wanted, the little girls wanted to take care of baby dolls, dress them up and do all the stuff that, and we were oblivious. Like, that's, that's stupid. We didn't care about those things because we were different. They aspire to do, and there's nothing wrong with, with uh, being that way. Are you like Mrs. Spurgeon, who prayed for her husband in way, or prayed for her child, prayed for her son and her children in ways that challenged their thinking? That is one of the things that, that made Charles Spurgeon who he was. The great man of God that he became, part of it was his mother. I, I, I can't think of, if my mom would have prayed something like that. I know my dad did. My dad used to pray for us all the time. and My dad was not a quiet prayer. 
He closed the door, but he'd be in there for hours. And sometimes he'd mention us by name, and you can't help but hear. My mom wasn't that way. She was more in your face and just said, hey, you better knock it off. Yeah. She was, she was more like that. But Mrs. Spurgeon, she, when praying for her children, that's what she did. She prayed for them, prayed to them, prayed for them honestly. She prayed for them earnestly. And that's what mothers can do. You can get away with it. And we don't think it a horrible thing. But like Carrie said, yeah, it would scare the living daylights out of you to think about that. My mom bearing witness against me. My dad bearing witness against me. But that's, that's ultimately what it is. Mothers have this great, um, this great affection that is just in them. And it's something that God has placed in them. And they love differently than we do. So be mothers. There's nothing wrong with being women. There's nothing wrong with being a mother. No matter how much the world denigrates that. These successful women who are in their 40s and 50s, can't tell you how many articles I've read of those women that say, you know what, if I could do it all over again, I would. And I would be a mom. Because I feel a hole in my life. And there's nothing that can fill it. No amount of awards, none of this can fill it. So women are mothers. They're made to be mothers. They're made to carry these things. I'd like to finish with this. Those who think that a woman detained at home by her little family is doing nothing think the reverse of what is true. Scarcely can a godly mother quit her home for a place of worship. But dream not that she is lost to the work of the church. Far from it. She is doing the best possible service for her Lord. Mothers, the godly training of your offspring, which would include your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, is your first and most pressing duty. God made woman. He made women to be mothers. And this is one of the most godly acts of worship that a woman can do to raise, raise children in a godly way. Raise godly children to the best of her abilities and leave it to God. Because ultimately that's what you have to do. It is the most godly act that you can do to present your body as a living sacrifice to do this. That you can supply to minister to Him and serve as a mother with joy and thankfulness. We honor mothers in this place. We thank for, we're thankful for mothers. We're not ashamed to call women women and to call moms mom. Um, we also, by the way, we have downstairs a collection of crosses. Those who didn't make it, sorry, you get, uh, you get to choose one of those. And also, um, we've got some flowers for you. So let's pray and then we'll uh, do our last song and, and uh, go on about our Mother's Day. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy.
We thank you for your plan of creation and your created order and how you made things. We thank you for women. They're so different. They're amazing in so many different ways. Thank you that you've made us men to um, be attracted by the femininity that you've made them to be. Some of them are not as feminine as others, and that's okay. We just thank you, Lord, that you've made us different. You've made us for a purpose. We thank you for mothers who loved us in spite of what we are. They were a good example, a godly example of your love, who loves us in spite of what you know about us. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We thank you that you are the one who has supplied us, Lord, with that care, that tenderness, and all those things that we needed. Thank you, Lord, for everything. You're so good, beyond what we can think or imagine, beyond what we could say or express. We're thankful that you are our God and that you are our King, and this is your creation. It was your institution. We thank you for motherhood. We thank you, Lord, for you are good. We praise you, we thank you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.
promise of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that we can be resurrected to new life even today. And we don't have to just wait until your return. Thank you that we can live in a new life because of Christ's sacrifice on that cross that day. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things and more. Thank you for your goodness, for your graciousness, for your holiness, and your righteousness. That you never change and that you're always the same. Thank you for your everlasting, merciful, loving kindness. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' holy name. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee. And keep thee. And keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee. And keep thee. And keep thee. Lord make his face to shine upon thee. And be gracious unto thee. Be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee. Bring and bring, bring thee peace. Go in peace. Get a little flower pot and go look at the crosses. Take one.